Amen. How are you? You good? Am I allowed to say y'all? Yes, don't make fun of me from the South. So you might hear a bunch of y'all up in here, but then I heard some of y'all from uh, Georgia, so it's good. Uh, so let me correct a couple things. My wife would kill me uh, that I didn't update our bio. We're actually going on 17 years of marriage next month. And so by God's grace, man, she, uh, I say it's the best 17 years of her life. She would say the opposite, that uh, it's the best years of mine. Uh, we have three kids, Eliza Cates with me. She's gotten to kind of live the best life ever. Um, on the way here, we got upgraded to first class. And so she's like laying down on this airplane, eating food, ordering all the snacks. I took a nap and I look over and she's got like 10 sprites and all these snacks on the table. I was like, we're spoiled because when we go home, we're in like the back of the plane, baby. It's like, we're not doing this ever, ever again. And so, uh, man, I appreciate you. Um, forgive me. My voice is gone. Um, I'm so used to the humidity. I woke up at four o'clock this morning just to take a shower because I was like, I just need something to like uh, moisturize my entire body. So if my voice goes out, that's why. Um, let me show you my family real quick. Here's, here's a picture of them. Uh, Whitaker is to the far right of me. He's 14 years old. Uh, all athlete, kid's got a pull-up bar in his room, and like most of the time, I'm like, bro, you got to go to bed. You need to go to bed, and he's over there like, let me just do 10 more, and I'm like, no, go to bed. You know, wakes up, wants to exercise, so he's got all the fitness in him. Brittany, my wife, we met in college, kind of crazy to think, but when I saw her, I was like, I'm going to marry that woman. Uh, she says, you probably said that about every girl you saw, and I was like, no, that is like literally only you, the first time I ever thought that. Uh, there's me in the middle, Eliza Kate, who you've met. She's our artist and creative of the family. Started a jewelry making business a couple years ago. Girl made like two thousand bucks in a year, and I was like, oh, you might actually like f uh, like fund our entire life in ministry. I hope you go and be famous. And then Fletcher, he's thirteen. He is our like what you would expect for a middle child, preteen boy. I don't know if you pick up on this, but he did the whole like got you logo with his hand. In every photo. So my wife's like yelling at him. She's like, Fletcher, did you do this in every photo? And he's like, yeah. And we're like, you're an idiot, son. Like, why would you do that? Uh, but he is our cross country kid, man. He one day walked in the house and was like, hey, I signed up for cross country. And you're like, you've never ran a mile before. Like, what are you thinking? Uh, when he's like, I just want to do it. So we're like, all right, cool. Let's do this. Three weeks later, he wants to quit. And I was like, hey, son, we finish what we start. You don't have to run forever, but you need to finish the season. Ended up being like this kind of like hidden talent kid. Uh, ran a PR this weekend while I was in, in Utah. And so that's the Bettis family. Um, I, I love Justin and Amber. I uh, got to know them over the last couple of years. And we went to Israel together this past summer. Got to spend a lot of time together. Uh, he's not here and will probably not watch this. So I can make fun of him because uh, he's never going to hear this. But a couple months ago, I was in Utah with him. And I, he was like, let's work out and run together. So I was like, okay. And so I said, I like running. Um, but you got to understand, Florida's like below sea level, like, right? Like, we're not at 4,000 feet. So I was like, I'm going to die, like, and be embarrassed by this. Uh, we run an eight-mile loop here in the valley, and I come back to their house, and I look at Brittany. She says, how was it? I said, it was awesome. She's like, why? I was like, because I beat Justin. Like, I, I was like, I had to slow down for him. 
And, and like, it just boosted my ego because I was like, this is like Mr. CrossFit and I'm over here thinking I'm going to die with the altitude. And so ever since then, I've just been a little prideful and arrogant about it. Like, think I'm better than him. So it's all good. So uh, love your pastors. Love what they're doing here as you guys transition to what God has for you. Uh, I remember when you guys built this space and when you got it. Justin and I have been friends that long. And so it's just been cool to see. So uh, let me pray for you again. And you pray for me and pray that my voice don't crack. Don't want to sound like I'm going through puberty or anything for my first time with you. So Father, we're so grateful for Church of the Valley. Pray that the Spirit would speak. Pray that he would preach a better sermon than I could ever dare to imagine. Pray for Church of the Valley, God, that you would continue to guide them, give them grace upon grace in this next season. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, open up to John 15, actually. I want to kind of go back into the text that Wes preached last week. Did a great job articulating it. Uh, I'm with you. John 15 is one of my favorite. Uh, it's one of those texts where if you just look at what Jesus says, life will be easy. Uh, as I am going into my 40s, I've just kind of realized that the more that I just do what God says to do, the easier my life gets. John 15 is one of those chapters. He says, hey, like apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's one of my favorite texts. Jesus is teaching that. He says, hey, uh, abide in me and you'll be fine. He talks about loving one another. And then he goes with this. He says, hey, uh, all, all this is great persecution's coming and I'm leaving you here. And you look at Jesus and you're like, man, what the heck just happened? Like, man, everything was amazing for the last three years. We've walked with you and now you're leaving us. And he's like, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome for you. Don't worry about it. You imagine the weight that the disciples felt in that moment. So in John 26, John 15, 26, I want to just kind of read this to look back as we look at the text. John 15, verse 26 says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I'll tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. For I do not, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Uh, if you're taking notes, which I hope you are, here's your sermon title today, is your help is already here. Your help is already here. There are times in our lives where God will tell us to do things that don't make sense, right? There, there are moments where God will tell you to do something and all you have in your life is to depend on his word and the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. You got to think for the disciples. He's saying, hey, abide in me, love one another, persecution's coming, but I'm leaving. But it's okay. It's going to be even better for you because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. There are times in our lives where things just don't make sense. How can this be better? If I'm a disciple of Jesus and he's like, hey, uh, I'm leaving you here. I'm like, man, I don't even know if I want to do this thing anymore. I don't know if I want to be a Christian. I don't know if I want to follow you. You're telling me somebody's going to try to kill me and it's going to be awesome? And Jesus says, yes, it's going to be better. We often disagree with God and his plans and purposes for our lives, don't we? 
God says, here's what I have for you. You know, and I don't really like that, right? Because we're always going back to what we know. Like I resonate with Israel when God sends them out and they're like, hey, we're going out here in the wilderness just to die. Well, I just want to go back to Egypt. I just want to go back there. At least we had food. Yeah, but you were enslaved. There are times where God will tell you stuff and it doesn't make sense. When, John, when Jesus is speaking in John 16, 7, he says, Nevertheless, I'll tell you the truth. It's for your advantage that I go away. It's for your advantage, for if I don't go away, the helper will not come. Just stop for a moment and try to comprehend what's going on in the hearts of these disciples. They ate with Jesus for the last three years. They left their careers behind to follow him. They left everything, everything that was guaranteed for them. Like Peter and John, they're out leading or running their fishing business. They leave all of this behind to come to this critical moment where Jesus says, hey, I'm leaving you, but it's going to be fine because the helper's coming. Who is the helper? The helper is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying that when I go, the Holy Spirit comes and he's going to come bear witness about me. And so are you. So I'm assuming the disciples at this point are like, well, what does he look like? What's he going to be like? Is he like you? He's like, you ain't going to see him. Hold on. Wait a minute. Like this guy's just going to come. Like, who is this thing? He's going to come live and dwell inside of you. Who is the Holy Spirit then? John 16 verses 1 through 3. It says, for I have said all these things to you to keep you from following away. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Like, why do we need him in our lives? Not just for our sanctification, but in the text here, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm sending him so you don't fall away from me. In the Greek, it means this, that someone can give up one's faith or to fall into sin. Now, it's debatable. If you're a Christian, can you lose your salvation? When we look at the Bible, it's the same. And if you're in Christ, you're in Christ forever. But there's this moment that the disciples are going to be faced with is will they turn their backs and rebel on God? And it's as if Jesus was saying, hey, I need to send the helper because there will be moments in your life where you're going to be tempted to wonder, doubt, and be full of fear. But the helper's coming so he could comfort you in that, so you can endure everything. You know that persecution and famine and death aren't our greatest enemies? Uh, like those things may come to us, but they're not the worst thing that will ever happen to us. The worst thing that could ever happen to us is to turn our backs on the Jesus that called us and saved us. And so one of the greatest gifts when the Holy Spirit came to you, when you placed your faith in Jesus, one of the greatest gifts in that is found in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. If you want to turn there, go with me. If not, I'll just read it for you. In Ephesians, here's what Paul says. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And Jesus saying, hey, this helper's coming. The Holy Spirit's coming. The moment that you placed your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of your salvation that he has sealed you in with Christ. And the disciples are wondering, why would we ever fall away from Jesus? Well, you got to think contextually here. Their hearts are full of sorrow. Their hearts aren't thinking about the future coming of the Holy Spirit and being empowered to bear witness for Jesus. In this moment, their hearts are filled with sorrow and confusion, wondering, what are we going to do now? We, we feel as if we're about to be abandoned by the, the Savior that we came to follow. I assumed in their heads at some point, they're like, man, who's going to fall away? Why would we even fall away? 
But then Jesus says, hey, these religious zealots are coming for you, and they're going to try to kill you. They're going to try to persecute you. And so the disciples are thinking, hey, you're leaving us for that? You're leaving us to get persecuted, but you're telling us that it's going to be good? I don't know about you, but I like to have a lot of fun, right? Like, like I don't know if y'all do the Enneagram here. I know for some of you, like, man, that's from Satan, right? Like, it's like personality thing. I'm a seven. If it ain't fun, I don't want to do it. I think for me, as one of those disciples in those moments, I'd be like, man, this just doesn't sound fun anymore, Jesus. Persecution's coming. People are going to try to kill us. I thought we were going to go be fishers of men. And Jesus says, it's okay. Do you know that there will be moments in your life where you will feel alone? Uh, Those of you that are even followers of Jesus, there are moments where you're like, man, has God abandoned me? Where is the Lord at in this? Because right now I don't feel like he's near. I want you to revisit the words of Jesus in John. That you've got to remember that in this moment, they're not just being commissioned for mission at this moment. They're sitting here hearing Jesus' last final words to him. And their hearts are filled with sorrow. Church family, write this down. Two things. That in your moments of your own despair, sorrow, and even doubts, that the words of Jesus that he spoke to them, he said these two things. He says, I tell you the truth, it's for your advantage. First thing is that I tell you the truth, that whatever Jesus speaks to you by his word is ultimate. Do you know there's never a time where Jesus will ever lie to you? There's never a moment where Jesus will betray you. There's never a moment where his word will be ungood for you. And so Jesus says, hey, I tell you the truth. I speak this truth to you in the moment of your despair and in your sorrows. And then he says, secondly, it's for your advantage. It's for your advantage that I go from here because you're going to have God dwelling inside of you now. The Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to illuminate your heart and he's going to comfort you in your afflictions. So when us in our own lives, when Jesus calls us to stuff, when he tells us to do something that doesn't make sense, When the future doesn't look as bright as we'd like it, right? Like, I can't imagine the disciples are thinking like, hey, this thing we signed up for is going to be amazing when Jesus just tells us he's abandoned, he's leaving us, but it's for our advantage. Jesus, in this moment, looks at his disciples and he says, will you trust me? Will you trust me in this? Will you trust me with the calling that I've placed on your life? Will you trust me with your future? Jesus repeatedly says again that I have to go away or the Spirit cannot come. The disciples needed to be reminded that it was good for them that Jesus was leaving and the kingdom uh, was coming. I love this quote by D.A. Carson. Try to read this and not let you hear it. Here's what D.A. Carson says. He says, the biblical promises of the Spirit will characterize the age of the kingdom of God. But the saving reign of God cannot be fully inaugurated until Jesus has died, risen from the dead, and been exalted to the Father's right hand, returned to the glory he enjoyed with the Father before the world began. So Jesus repeatedly tells his disciples, he says, hey, the Spirit can't come until I leave. They didn't understand it at the time, but after he affirmed them that it was for their good and the purposes of the kingdom, he began to teach on what the Holy Spirit would do. Let me read John 16, 8 through 11. 
He says, when, I come, when he comes, talking to the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they did not, do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Go ahead and write this down. Here's your second point, or your first point. Is that the Holy Spirit came to earth to convict us of our sin, righteousness, and warn against judgment. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit came to earth to convict us of our sin, righteousness, and warn against judgment. Do you know that right now the Holy Spirit is just doing what he's been doing for the last 2,000 years? That the Holy Spirit is at work in your own hearts right now. Uh, like, I don't know if you're aware of this. I don't know where you're at in your faith. I don't know if you're aware that the Holy Spirit has been at work in you far before you even realized it. So my story, I was telling uh, Josh and Jen, right? Josh and Jen. I was telling them last night, they're like, so how'd you get saved? I was like, I don't know, I was just an idiot. Uh, I was just this dude who showed up to church for no good reason. Um, so like we're in the South. And so I go to the First Baptist Church of Middleburg. First Baptist Church of Middleburg, like you wore a suit and tie. Like, and I show up as this like punk surfer kid. I'm wearing flip-flops, wearing shorts, sitting on the front row. I just knew that I wanted to be there. Like, this is how awesome I thought church was. Like for some of you that grew up in youth group, you're going to be like, man, you're an idiot for this. Lord, I lift your name on high was the greatest song I'd ever heard. And that was coming from a dude that would drive into the church parking lot when my truck windows down busting Wu-Tang Clan. Like that was just me. For some of you are like, who's Wu-Tang Clan? Do not look it up. You will learn some words that you don't ever need to repeat. But man, the Holy Spirit was working in my heart before I even knew it. And I just knew that there was something bigger than myself in that. The Holy Spirit is doing today what he's been doing for 2,000 years, working in the hearts of every man, woman, and child, wooing them to the Father through the gospel. And he's strengthening and comforting God's people. And he's still doing the same thing, whether you realize it or not, that he's just calling men and women and children out of the bondages of sin into the light to try to find true freedom. And Jesus says this to us. He says, hey, the Holy Spirit's coming, and he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Let me talk about that for a moment. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, hey, people do not believe in me. Uh, they're resisting me, right? Like, could you imagine what it had been like? We like to make fun of people in the Bible at times, right? Because we can't see them face to face. And when we read the Bible, you're like, how did y'all miss this? Like, you had Jesus right in front of you. How did you miss God right there? I would have done the same thing. I'd be like, I need to see another miracle, bro. You got some more bread you can multiply? I need to see another miracle. And so even Jesus is telling us, well, hey, they're going to reject me. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to bear weight on their souls and draw them to myself. When he talks about conviction of sin, when we look at humanity, the greatest failure in humanity is that we have not believed or seen Jesus for who he really is. The Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the Lord over all, as Paul says in Philippians. And the Holy Spirit now is doing work in your own heart. How many of you guys love conviction? It's like awesome, right? It's like, man, like I knew I wasn't a great person. Now I really know I'm not a good person. Like this is awesome. Conviction is one of those things that we've got to reverse our way of thinking on it. We have to start seeing that conviction is a gift because what is self-condemnation? Self-condemnation is a curse, all right? Like self-condemnation, like I, I do really well in self-condemnation, by the way, I'll just be honest with you. Uh, like I, I got like a PhD in it, 
I do something sinful, uh, like, my flaw, like my sinfulness is exposed, and I don't run to the gospel most of the time. I don't go to the cross and say, man, I'm forgiven in Christ. What I do is I go towards self-condemnation, but that's exactly what your enemy wants you to do. The purpose of conviction is not to humiliate you. Like, I don't know what your view of God is here. Uh, I don't know what you see him as. If you see him as this angry dad just trying to, like, bust you every time around the corner. I don't know if you guys office people. You guys like the office? All right. You know when Dwight says, he's like, I love busting people. That's why I always fling doors open. Right? Like, I think sometimes we think of God like that, that he's just waiting for us to mess up again. But what God does through the Holy Spirit is when he brings conviction, you have to remember, Paul says in Romans, that it's his kindness that leads us towards repentance. That every time the Holy Spirit begins to bring conviction on you, it's not to expose you and to shame you, but to bring you freedom, to bring you out of bondage of that which has enslaved you for so long. Every time conviction happens, it ought to provoke us towards thankfulness, not embarrassment. That every single time the Spirit of God is bringing conviction on your soul, that it's because He wants to produce godliness and do it for your good. I tend to gravitate towards shame. I tend to gravitate towards embarrassment, not thankfulness. Now, every time the Spirit of God is bringing conviction on my sin, I look at Him and say, man, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're bringing this out of me so it's no longer something that enslaves me anymore. The Holy Spirit's work of conviction of your sin is an act of kindness. And then we talk about the conviction of righteousness. That when God convicts us of our sin, it's there to point us to recognize that God's standard of righteousness is his son Jesus. Like every single one of us on our best days, every single one of us, if we were to try to accumulate all our good deeds, all our good efforts, right? Like you drove the speed limit, you did your quiet time, you were nice to somebody today. Like if we were to try to accumulate all of our good efforts, it would still fail in comparison to the righteousness of Jesus. But here's the great news for you. The greatest gift of your side, and I know there's like all sorts, I'm saying the greatest gift numerous times because they're all great, but I just don't know how else to tell you, explain it to you. But one of the greatest gifts of your salvation is that the moment when you surrendered your life to Jesus, because of the gospel, Jesus imputes his own righteousness onto you. Here's what that means. That every single one of us, if you are in Christ right now, when the Father looks upon you, he sees the righteousness of his Son. He is giving you his own righteousness that you get to stand behind. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin. He's convicting us of righteousness, right? Doing the right thing, doing the right and honorable thing. And then there's conviction upon judgment. Two thoughts on this. Is that every single one of us will stand before God as judge. If you're in Christ, if you have believed the gospel, then what does that mean? You don't have to walk to him with any fear. That the judgment that's to come has already been poured out on Jesus. Uh, I, I often think about this clip I think it was Alistair Begg. And they asked the question, hey, why should I let you into heaven? It's the scene where he's like, hey, why should I let you in here? And I often think about it in my own life. And if I were to ever be asked that question of the Lord, and he says, hey, why should I let you in here? I'd be like, man, you shouldn't. 
There's nothing good I've done. There's nothing in me that deserves or merit this. But this man, Jesus, this guy over here, he said, I could come into this thing. He invited me in. And I don't know about you, but whatever he's invited me to do, I want to be a part of it. And that's the only reason I'm standing here before you. Because he said, I'm allowed to come in. And that's who has approved us at judgment. But then what Jesus also says so the worst my voice has ever sounded. Next time I preach for you, you'll be like, man, he don't sound like he smoked anymore. <laughs> the rule, Jesus says this. Trying to find the verse. Somewhere in the text that we read to you, it says that the ruler of this age has already been judged. I find it interesting when Jesus says this, that the rule of this world is already judged. What he's saying is Satan has already been judged by God. And that what Satan is doing right now is just trying to counterfeit everything God has. He's trying to trick you into uh, his ways. He's trying to deceive us. He's trying to get you to doubt God's word because he knows he's already lost. Like, isn't it amazing to think that your enemy, God, has already declared punished? And all he's trying to do is try to take as many captive with him because he knows at the end of this thing, Jesus wins. He's trying to take as many captive with him on his way to hell. Jesus, or Satan is nothing but, how many of y'all are dog people? All right, if you have a chihuahua, I apologize for this, but you should probably get rid of it and get a real dog. <laughs> I have a cat, so you can make fun of me, all right? So we got this COVID cat, I'll tell you the story later. Satan's nothing but a chihuahua that thinks he's got the bark of a Rottweiler. He just knows he's nothing. Jesus has said he has already been judged. You pick up in verse 12, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Right? The disciples are sitting there in their despair and sorrow. Jesus, you called us to follow you. You showed us miracles, and you called us into this relationship with you, and you're telling us persecution's coming, and then you're leaving us. This is what Jesus is getting at. He says, hey, I have so many other things to tell you, but you can't bear them now because your hearts are so hardened. Edwin Blum says this. He's a commentator. He says, the disciples were not able to receive any more spiritual truth at the time. Their hearts were hardened. Their concern was for their own preeminence in an earthly kingdom. So they saw no need for Jesus' death. Sorrow over his departure and dismay over the prophecy of a traitor among them, along with the prediction of their own dissertation, dissertion, rendered them insensitive to more spiritual truth. I'll be honest with you. There are so many moments in my life where God says, here's what I have for you. But in my sorrow and in my grief and in my doubts of his future provision, I'm right here with the disciples. Uh, I'm so preoccupied with like, Jesus, you're leaving us? He's like, yeah, but you get the, the spirit of God now. And I've just told you that it's going to be better for you. It's actually going to be more fruitful for you, right? What does he say to the disciples? He says, hey, he who's in you is greater than he in the world. You are going to do even greater things. But the disciples were so preoccupied with the fact that Jesus was leaving that they missed it. Let me spend a few minutes talking through the role of the Holy Spirit in my life according to John 16. Go ahead and write this down. That the Holy Spirit will guide you, speak truth to you, and glorify the Father. 
All right, we talked about the Holy Spirit coming, what he's going to do. Let's kind of talk about where the Spirit of God's at in your life today. Let me read John 16, 13 through 15. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit will guide you, speak truth to you, and glorify the Father. Three quick things. The Holy Spirit guides you. Uh, I, I don't know about you. I love White River rafting. It's amazing, right? It's nothing better than like getting to the raft and your guide to either like a 16-year-old kid or like a 97-year-old dude who lives in a van, right? There's no in-between. Like it's just one or the other. And they go, they say, hey, I just need you to follow me. I'm going to be your guide today. We're going to do some rapids, right? Part of this is going to be kind of calm, but then we're going to hit a couple class twos, threes, and fours. And then there's always like the big one, right? So when I was a teenager, I got to go to summer camp and they're like, hey, do you want to go through hell's hole? And I'm at a Christian camp, and I'm like, I don't know if we're allowed to do that, right? <laughs> but they're like, hey, you want to do this? And they say, hey, I'm your God. Do you trust me? Do you want to go through this, or do you want to go around it? A couple years ago, we got to go. The guy actually pulls a raft over, and they're like, hey, over here is like an eight-foot drop. Do you want to go down it? 36, 37 years old at the time, I'm like, I'm good now. I like living too much. My kids are like, let's go for this. We got a picture of my nephews going through it. One of my nephews is falling out of the raft, and my other nephew has him by the ankle. And I was like, that's why I didn't do that right there. What do they always tell you, though? You got to listen to me, and you got to trust me, right? The number one rule is don't let go of your T-grip, right? Because you don't want to knock out the person next to you. Part of the reason I don't do this is because my kids don't listen to that rule. And every time we're in the raft, I'm like, you're going to knock me out, and this is not going to be fun. But somewhere along the way, they say, hey, do you want to do this? Do you want to go through this? Like, this is a class 87 rapid now, right? They're making stuff up, and you're like, man, that sounds awesome. And in that moment, they ask, do you want to do this? And you, for a split second, ask yourself, do I enjoy living, or do I want to die today? Like, that's like kind of the two choices. And at some point, you say, yes, let's do this. I'll go with you. And what the guide does is this. He says, it's super important now that you do literally everything I say and when I say do it, or else this thing's flipping over. And so what I do is like I wedge my foot up in that side of that thing, like nobody's business, and I'm like attentive to the guy. And I was like, I don't want to die today. And I'm like, I'm terrified of water and drowning to begin with. So I'm like, I don't want to get stuck in this rapid and all my friends and family look at me to die. So in those moments, I say, hey, whatever you tell me to do, I will. In that moment, what happens? You surrender not just your life, but your will and your future to this 17-year-old kid who has no business guiding you, but yet you're all in on this thing, right? Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will guide you and that he will guide you to truth. The effectiveness of the Holy Spirit guiding you, though, depends on something. How much are you willing to listen to his voice? How much of your life are you willing to yield and surrender and put into the Spirit's hands? The Holy Spirit is the best God we'll ever have in this life. But it's all dependent on how willing we are to listen to Him, right? Uh, there's so much in this, right? And I know like we're a gospel people. We believe that the gospel changes everything. Like the gospel does that the work. But man, if I am unwilling to yield myself to the guide, then it doesn't matter. 
If my heart is so hardened to the spirit of God, it doesn't matter what he says. Uh, one of my mentors says this all the time, and as we're trying to like pastor and shepherd people, he's like, they ain't going to listen to you. And I'm like, well, that's hurtful. So what I signed up to do with my life was to tell people about Jesus. He says, if they're not listening to God, why would they listen to you? The Holy Spirit is your God. And he will walk with you through every up and down that you have. I love getting to say this here because we don't get to say this in Florida because it's just flat as it can ever be, right? But Jesus, what does he do? He's with you in the valley. He's with you on the mountains. He's with you in every high and every low. Jesus is there and the Spirit of God is convicting our hearts of our sinfulness and rebellion. He's convicting us of our righteousness and this future judgment. And he's just guiding us to follow and obey God. And regardless of how great or bad life gets, the Spirit of God is always there to guide you, that He will always walk with you through it all. And as He's walking with you and as you're following Him, He's just simply revealing and dispensing truth to your hearts and your minds, isn't He? That every moment you open up God's Word, every time you surrender yourself to this, He's just simply guiding you. And guess what? Do you know that when God saved you, He factored in a few things already? He factored in our own stupidity and rebellion. He, he factored in every sinful decision you're going to make when he saved you. He's already factored in every mistake you're going to make when he called you. Like one of the great things that I'm always perplexed by in the gospel, get saved at 17, by God's grace, I'll live home about 80. And it perplexes me that God has not just forgiven me of past sin, not just my present sin, but my future sin. That God saved me at 17, knowing that I would have 60 some more years of rebellion against him. And he still saves us. The Holy Spirit will guide you to truth. The question is, how willing are you to yield? How willing are you in yielding your life to his leadership? And if you've gotten off path, how are you going to course correct? Second thing Jesus says is that the Holy Spirit will only speak truth to you. Because the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity. It's safe to say that when the Spirit illuminates your heart with the Word of God, it's always going to be true. We say this all the time to our people. We say not only is God's Word true, but it's trustworthy. Uh, there's a joke that you can't really trust anything I say unless it's on a Sunday. I was sitting with my father-in-law and our family the other night at dinner, and I made a joke about something. He was asking me a question about a friend of mine, and I just rambled off some stuff. And he's like, really? And my mother-in-law is just like, Rick, you can't trust anything this dude says unless it's on Sunday. Because it's just like, to like, I think sarcasm's in the Bible somewhere. Every time the Spirit of God speaks to you, it'll always be true, because it's always going to be rooted in God's Word. Do you want to know how to discern if Spirit's speaking to you? Does it align with Scripture? have people all the time in our church tell me things. I'm like, yeah, I don't think God said that to you. Why? Because it don't align with his word. It, it doesn't align with what God's already said for you, right? And it's one of those things, if you want to know if the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart and in your life, if he's revealing himself to you, just go to the Bible. Does this align with what God has already said? Because what he says is true and it's trustworthy. And third, the Holy Spirit glorifies the Father. That anything the Spirit does or says will be for the glory of God and the spread of the glory of God in your life and the earth. And you see this. Jesus says, hey, the Spirit will glorify me and he will glorify the Father and we will glorify God together. So let me give you a closing thought here and then a couple parting words. So I just need you to remember 
that your help in this life is here and will never leave you, my friends. Right When Jesus goes in the Great Commission, he says, For behold, I am with you till the end of the ages. That the Spirit of God that Jesus talks about 2,000 years ago is still here today in your life. And that he will keep doing the same thing that he's always been doing. Like, I just love this about what we get to be caught up in, right? Like, we are sitting here seeing God do what he's just been doing since he built the church. And when Jesus said in Matthew 16, For I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the Spirit of God is your evidence in your life. Got to remember just setting in context, because sometimes I could get pigeonholed in John 16 and be like, man, this is just all about the Holy Spirit. But then I forget the fact that he's talking to his disciples and their hearts are full of sorrow. Their hearts are full of doubts and wondering what is going on in this. In John 16, 16, you'll, you'll hear this in a couple weeks. He says, in a little while, you'll see me no longer. And again, in a little while, you will see me. And in this, he says that, hey, he will take your sorrows and you'll turn them to joy. The Holy Spirit will take the sorrow of his disciples and you'll turn it into joy. Why? Because two things are still true today. That Jesus right now sits at the right hand of the Father, still ruling and reigning. He knows everything that's going on in your life. He knows every doubt, every fear, every insecurity, every sin. He knows everything about you. And he knows exactly what your heart is wrestling with. He says, it's okay. For the helper's coming. It will guide you. It will speak truth to you and glorify God because Jesus is still ruling and reigning. When we had led our church through COVID, I got to like, give myself some permission because in Florida, like, we didn't really have COVID. You know what y'all had here? Governor tried to kind of act like it didn't exist, and we just kind of went about our lives. So we had a little minor COVID. But in that, we looked at our church, and we as the pastors and leaders, we walked to our people, and we said, hey, our people act as if Jesus isn't on the throne anymore. And we've got to bring them to this point to see that Jesus is still at work in the midst of all of this. Like, like the worst thing that happens to us as Christians is we don't get to live life with our friends and family. Like, you got to remember that what Christ has already said, that the moment you breathe your last breath here, you will be with him forever. So it's not even the worst thing that's going to ever happen to you. But Jesus is still ruling and reigning. We have to remember that Satan's already been defeated. John 16, 33, one of my favorite Bible verses of all times. John says, or Jesus says this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. From John 15, abide in me to, hey, take heart. I've overcome the world. How do we do all this? We just simply go back to what Pastor West said last week. You just continually abide in Jesus. You simply just surrender more and more your life to him. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're wrestling with. Uh, I don't know if your heart is full of sorrow this morning. I don't know if your heart's full of doubt. I don't know if you're like just in bondage to self-condemnation. I don't know what you're going through. But the Spirit of God just wants to simply woo you to himself to remind you, hey, you are forgiven, past, present, future, that whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling and sorting through, right, what happens in our sorrows, right, we take our eyes off of Jesus. In our sorrows, we put all of our eyes on that. This is what the disciples are doing. Uh, They're not looking at the truth of God. But Jesus speaks to them. He says, hey, take heart. 
quote by John Wilbur that's really changed my life for the last several weeks is this. He says, the economy of the kingdom is quite simple. That every new step in the kingdom cost us everything we've gained to date. Every time we cross a new threshold. I know why I'm crying. I don't even know y'all. Every time we cross a new threshold, it costs us everything we now have. And every step may cost us all the reputation and security we've accumulated up to that point. It costs us our life. A disciple is always ready to take the next step. And if there's anything that characterizes Christian maturity, it's the willingness to become a beginner again for Jesus Christ. It's the willingness to put our hand in his and say, I'm scared to death, but I'll go with you. You're the pearl of great price. Jesus takes these 12 guys, 11 of them make it, one doesn't make it. And he says to them, hey, I'm leaving, but the Spirit of God is coming. And then what does he tell these same disciples in the book of Acts? Hey, I'm leaving, but you're going to be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Right when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to empower you. These 11 disciples in John 15 and 16, hearts full of sorrow, changed the entire world. That every step of obedience cost them something. Don't know what you need today. Uh, I don't know what the Lord is asking you to surrender. But during our response time, I just want to give you two things. For some of you, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never placed your faith in him. Uh, I don't know your church background. I don't know your religious background. But if you're here, it's not by accident that God brought you in this place to reveal your sin, to reveal his goodness to you, to say, hey, all of your sin is forgiven. It was all placed on a cross 2,000 years ago. And if you want evidence of that's true, just look at the resurrection, that Jesus was raised from the dead. And he just invites you by faith to trust him. For some of you, you need to surrender your lives to Jesus. For some of you, you're already a Christian, and there's some things in your life that you're just holding on to tightly. And Jesus is saying, hey, would you just surrender that today? For some of you, it's unconfessed sin. You know, I mean, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to, like, bring this into the light. You're right where Satan wants you. Enslaved. For some of you, you're just going through some stuff. And sorrow has filled your heart. What a great gift it would be to you for you to just release control of those things today to surrender them all at the feet of Jesus and trust that he knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly where you need to be and exactly when you need to get there. So would you stand to your feet? I'm going to pray for you in our time of response. Some leaders are going to be available to you. I just want to challenge you. Maybe for some of you, it's surrendering your life to Jesus this morning. For some of you, it's surrender and control of something to him. For some of you, it might be the spirit of God has been bearing weight on your soul because you've held on to some sin for far too long and Jesus wants to just set you free from it. For some of you, it's a trial or a situation that Jesus just wants to say, hey, would you trust me with it this morning? So let me pray and then our leaders will be available for you up front. Father, we're so grateful that you're with us that the Holy Spirit is present in this moment. I pray for the man and woman that has something to surrender. Maybe it be unconfessed sin or their lives.
maybe the trial they're going through, maybe the situations they're wrestling with, would you do a mighty work in their lives? God, would you set us free today? In Christ's name, amen.